Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. Today on Living Heritage is part one of our Grand Falls Memory Mug Up, recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Classic Theater on July 14th, 2017. We heard stories of horses and goats sneaking into the movie theater with flattened nickels or fake tickets, stories of memorable local characters, the influence of strong women, and memories of growing up in the community. The mug-up was part of the town's Salmon Fest activities and was organized by the Grand Falls Windsor Heritage Society and was a staged interview with six local community members. In part one, we hear stories from Andy Barker, Yvonne Courtney, and John Edwards. Welcome, one and all, to our Memories Mug Up today, where we're going to be sharing stories about uh, growing up and life in Grand Falls, Windsor. Uh, it, is a, it is a delight to be here to, to share stories. Stories is something that I'm very, very passionate about. And the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador for the past two years has been working on a project called Collective Memories, where we're working with communities to get local people to share their stories about, about the way things used to be and to record those for the next generation. So today's event is part of that, um, and it's, it's not the first project that we've been involved with in partnership with the, the Heritage Society here. Uh, Tara Barrett, who is with our office, came out uh, last fall, I guess, last year, and did a bunch of research which led to a little booklet that I'm sure many of you have seen about our, the memories of Main Street for Windsor. Um, and it was very well attended when we had the book launch, and I met several people that, who were around the, the the room here at that point. And today we're here to talk more about these, these memories and the stories of, of yesteryear. And we have six storytellers who are here tonight, and I'm sure any one of them could, could take up our, our entire time. I know they're all gonna, gonna be, uh, they're all full of, full of stories. So we have six storytellers here, and we're gonna go alphabetically by, by last name. We have, uh, starting over on our side, our first storyteller today is Andy Barker and Yvonne Cartney, then followed by John Edwards. And on this side, Sean Feener, Mary Kelly, and Cliff Thomas. And so I'm gonna pass the microphone along, and uh, Andy, we're gonna start with you. Uh, thanks very much. <clears throat> I'd just like to thank the Heritage Society and the volunteers that do a great job in our history for us. and. Uh, I know a lot of people here, but people probably don't know me, and I was born here, educated here, lived elsewhere, been back home quite a number of years. Um, I was 72 in a couple of months' time. But when I was born, um, my mother said I was a blue baby. I was given up for death and put in a bucket, and uh, a nurse saw me kicking the bucket. And uh, so uh, I hope today I don't kick the bucket because it's such a lovely day outside. And um, I, I came here this morning in a 230-horsepower vehicle, but the horses I want to talk about in memories are the single horses between uh, the late 1940s and the early 1950s. Um, these were the horses that I saw uh, plowing gardens and related work, delivering milk, uh, delivering coal, pulling the hearse, uh, leading the Orange Day Parade, and a parade uh, um, where there was an Indian wrestler here, and he was riding around town. It was a big promotion on that. Um, last night at the salmon dinner, uh, Gordon Pinson spoke very eloquently about growing up here and the special place that it was. Gordon, in his book, uh, by the way, 
referred to the old Indian up on First Avenue, and that was actually a mistake because that old Indian actually lived down Gilbert Street and was my grandfather, Louis John. And Pop, he had a, a white horse, uh, Patty. Patty was a Newfoundland pony, but he was not your docile Newfoundland pony. He was rather what I would call a pit bull pony because he would bite, kick, and do everything else. But I saw Patty being used for plowing the garden, uh, delivering newsprint from the mill to the Blackmore Printing Company. And when Pop would finish doing that, he would stop the wagon on, on the end of Gilbert Street, and we'd all run up and jump on. And of course, since we were grandchildren, we could sit in the front with him and get a ride down to the barn. And uh, Patty one time escaped and ran away like he would. It's called the jungle. And uh, having seen so many movies with Tarzan and vines and chimpanzees and elephants, that's what I was thinking about. Then I was very disappointed and found it was actually an area in Windsor, Main Street East. That's where Patty had gone. And I always thought that the Windsor Town Council had a great sense of humor because if you go in that part of Windsor today, you will see a street called Vine Street. I thought that was quite humorous. But anyway, um, the thing I remember, the first time I remember Pop, we were going up Pine Avenue in this box cart, and when we got near the Pine Avenue apartments, I could see the hands coming up to jump on for a ride. Then my grandfather gave me a little switch and told me to hit him on the fingers, which I did. And I was under five years old, so I did what I was told for sure. And then we went up in near Kelly's. There was a house there and he filled it up full of uh, chicken manure, and then on the top was a cover, and I sat on the top, and when we come down Pine Avenue, uh, out they come again, up comes those fingers, and I took the stick and smacked them on the fingers again. And I didn't know why I was doing that, but many years later I found out that in 1943, my brother Lou had fallen off Pop's wagon, and Pop had run him over, and that had frightened the daily youngsters hanging on to, to the wagon. So they're sort of fit in place. The second really outstanding story in my memory of horses was I was at the end of Gilbert Street looking down East, uh, they call it Union Street now, but we call it 2nd Avenue, and it was in the summertime, and I could hear a horse and a wagon. It was coal, a coal uh, bean. Anyway, the horse was going up 2nd Avenue and the wagon, and the back flap was open, and the chains were rattling, and the rider, not sitting in the seat, he was standing, and he was holding the reins, and he was really clipping that horse up, up Union Street and everything else, going at a wicked pace, and froze and watched him. It turned out it was Rex Haley, who was the later janitor at St. Mike's, and I used to always think that later on when I saw the movie Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston, Charlton Heston doing that great race, I said, Rex Haley would beat, you know, for sure. The last couple of things I'd like to leave you about about horses is that if you're walking down by um, the Sanger Park on the left when you're going down the right coming up, if you look into the woods sometimes you'll see like iron, railroad iron sticking up out of the ground. That was the pound where the horses were kept that escaped around town. And Mr. Hamilton, I remember, used to capture them, I guess for the company, and they'd be in there. And we'd go down around sometimes, see whose horse was inside and give them some grass, that type of thing. And the last thing I'd like to leave you is I'm wearing that at the closet today because right now as we're talking, there's 100,000 horses running that back of the mill and it's creating the horsepower 
the energy here, is generating about $70 million worth of electricity, and we're not getting in. And I really, really think what we need to do as a community is cherish the memories, but if we're going to have a future, somehow that electricity has to come back to us. Thank you very much. I'm a child of the 50s, and the 50s in Grand Falls, Windsor, were absolutely... Um, I lived in a beautiful part of Grand Falls. It was... Uh, it ended on our street, Greenwood Avenue. After Greenwood Avenue, there was nothing. There was no Grand Falls Academy High School or St. Catharines High School continuing on into meeting up with Windsor. None of that. So we lived on the edge of town. My grandparents lived just like three, four streets away across uh, from the Lady Northcliffe Hospital. So we were allowed to drag our little swimming pool from Greenwood Avenue all the way down to the memorial grounds and we could play with the flowers but not pick them <laughs> and uh, just go across the street to Riverview Road, which is by far one of the most historic streets in this town because Mill, uh, Riverview Road was where the mill site was. You could just see everything, and the whole experience of living uh, on Riverview Road was very sensual, and you, uh, everything about it. So I'm going to talk to you about that, and about uh, Lady Northcliffe Hospital, things like that. At the edge of, North, of uh, Lady Northcliffe Hospital, past the ugly ambulances, which frightened the life enemy, there was a tiny little roundish kind of a house that was a dental clinic. So this past 10 days, I've had to visit my dentist here twice. And the odd thing about it is when I go to see him, I know he's like, he's going to be okay. I'm not going to be too bad, etc. But I just go into this just terrible, awful, awful chronic nervous condition, which I call chickenitis. Now, Dr. Craig Bugden and Charmaine and, and Steve, they know that. They know that I'm just going to have to clutch onto the chair and just get over it. So when I was sitting there the, twice in this past 10 days, I said, I know, I know which character in Grand Falls, Windsor I'm going to talk about. <laughs> okay. When I was seven years of age, my mom walked me to the dental clinic. I was not happy. As a matter of fact, I was terrified and crying. And being a little girl at that time, I was just seven, uh, mom was saying, look, come on, we're going to be late. We walked into the clinic, and Dr. Ball said, well, come on, get up here. So I wouldn't get in the chair. I would not get in the chair. I wouldn't leave my mother's hand. And between mom and Dr. Ball, I, was, I had to do something, and I wasn't doing either one of it. So I left. I left the dental clinic. My mother came behind me, and we walked just down Riverview Road, because this is River, Riverview Road, and about five houses from the dental clinic. And I go into my grandmother's. I'm crying. Of course, my grandmother holds me and embraces me and tries to you know, settle me down. Mom comes in, and she's going, she's doing it all. She's saying it all. She's as angry as I'll get out. She said, well, you can forget that Scottish doll. You're not getting that doll for Christmas. I wanted that doll. So anyway, my grandmother was saying, leave the poor child alone. She said, just leave her alone. She'll get over it. So anyway, mom was there chatting with my grandmother and not chatting. They were really arguing. And Uncle Gord, and they were all really getting on with it. Like, they were all disgusted with me. I left the house. I went out into the garden to cry. 
and to just be by myself because I felt so ashamed. The doll was no longer important. The shame was just dreadful. <clears throat> so um, all of a sudden, I reappeared into the house. And I had a gob full of toad and blood coming out of everywhere. And they looked at me and they said, where are you? I was at the dentist. <laughs> I walked over to the dentist, walked in. Dr. Paul looked at me. Well, you're back. He said, well, come on, get up here. Let's get this done. I got in the chair and I just froze as usual. And I don't know if he gave me a needle or not, but I know that he was doing his damnedest to get this poor little tooth out. And he was quite angry with me and he was going to teach me a lesson. <laughs> and the lesson, the lesson was, okay, honey, get strong, be courageous. And I did. And I got up out of that chair. I walked over to my grandmother's, as I said, went in the house and my mother put her arms around me. She said, my goodness, Yvonne, you didn't have to do that without me. <laughs> that was fine. I go home and she's telling dad all about it. And that weekend, the Scottish doll showed up. <laughs> I didn't have to wait till Christmas. So that little extract was supposed to just give you a picture of Dr. Ball in the dental office and Dr. Como, 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 and, uh, and the terror that they left within us from our childhood, <laughs> uh, which still spills over into our adult life when we go to the dentist. Uh, the, other little, uh, the other character I thought about, I had so many ideas that I wanted to talk to you about. Time is limited, so I'm just going to talk to you about another character quickly because I do want to read a little bit of the, my memories of what it was like to grow up in that part of town, which is the most historic part of town. The other character was Garland Morrissey. Do some of you remember Garland Morrissey? Yeah. Yes, God. He, he was very short in stature, white, white hair, and he always had, is it a cigar he had? I think it's a cigar or a plate. I'm thinking it's a cigar. And he had this, he had this black pants always, suspenders, white shirt, little uh, drugstore way downtown. And um, he liked to sing with the, with the uh, cigar in his mouth. So he'd go around holding his suspender. He'd be going on singing. And I thought to myself, why is he always singing to himself? But anyway, that was a part of his demeanor. Working in the shop with him was a very petite, tiny, tiny lady. And her name was Peg, Peggy. Uh, what was Peggy's maiden name? That's what I thought it was, but I was afraid to say. Peggy Walsh. They worked together for more than 30 years, I'm certain. And Peggy was really, really organized and very quick and very, you know, she was really the best lady for the job. They were such good friends. And uh, Garley had a better friend, Patty. Patty was as big as Garley. Great, big, black, fluffy Newfoundland dog with lots of slobber, tons of slobber, in a drugstore, anywhere. And if you were at Rushy Pond, which was a beautiful boating club, where we would go up to ride in the boats and catch Spanny Tickles and go up the steps to Mr. and Mrs. and Tremlett's boathouse, and he smoked cigar, uh, he smoked uh, pipes, and oh, you could smell it when you go up the steps. Oh, the place smelled wonderful. You buy a little something at the canteen, he'd be in the rocking chair, you could sit down anywhere at the tables. I don't know if we have pictures of the boating club at Rushy Pond, but we got to find some. 
if you got some, pass them in. They also had little hooded, hooded picnic tables, picnic tables where you'd sit down, and there was a little hood over the top of it. Everybody went there with their sandwiches <laughs> to have lunch. So anyway, when Garley came to the, to the boat, to rushing uh, boathouse, you knew who was with him, Patty. Patty'd get out, and he'd make one run for the river. Out he'd go into the pond, because he was a big dog, and it was hot summer days. And he'd come out of that pond, and if you were anywhere near a shot of him, you got the slobber and shower all in one. So that was Garley. About uh, 30 years later, uh, well, pa- Patty had long since passed on, and Peggy was still working in the drugstore with Garley. But somewhere down the road, they decided, we sort of get along, you know. Maybe we should just get married, <laughs> which they did. So Patty and, and Garley, Morrissey, uh, Garley Morrissey and Peggy, beautiful couple. Okay, I'm just going to read a teeny mini bit from my memories from my childhood, which existed in the memorial grounds and the cottage hospital grounds. And Dale, you might want to uh, make, let me know when it's getting on with it. The war was over, and our town's young men and women returned home to settle and build homes in the new residential area of Memorial Avenue and Greenwood Avenue. Beyond that area, Grand Falls was forest. The beautiful memorial grounds surrounding Cenotaph became a playground for us children who were the baby boom of the new neighborhood. We spent our days playing among the trees and trying not to pick the huge variety of flowers that lined the walkway to the Cenotaph. We swung on the large iron gates that today still graced the entrance on Memorial Avenue. They're rather obscured right now, but by a very big uh, condo complex. There was a small round, there was a small round tool house for the gardening equipment, and it had a red roof, and it was round. It had a peculiar shape, pointed roof. In my childish imagination, I had convinced myself that it was a mushroom house for fairies. We sat on heavy concrete park benches. All the park benches around town were made of concrete, and they were made, made to last for 100 years. They were beautiful. And what we actually did hiding behind the benches was we were watching the teenagers. Remember Mun Ivany and Mildred? <laughs> Mun and Mildred were the epitome of the most beautiful teenage couple. And they'd hold hands and walk in the, in the uh, memorial grounds, and every now and then Mun would kiss Moody. <laughs> so we'd be watching the... Uh, uh, watching, the, watching them. Uh, from the memorial grounds, we made our way to another secret garden, which was Crawley's Bog. Anybody else ever playing Crawley's Bog? Crawley's Bog was magical. It was there that we could freely pick every flower we wanted. We fished for tadpoles among the lily pads, chased butterflies, and sat with our brown bag picnic lunch while we watched the mosquitoes and the frogs. Most days, we strolled past the memorial grounds, to the swimming pool, where every child in Grand Falls, Windsor, would be splashing. In the 1950s, there were lots of happy children splashing in, pool, in the pool. My mom and dad built our home in Greenwood Avenue. It was near enough to our grandparents' home in Riverview that we were allowed to walk there as we wanted. On our frequent daily skips to the, our grandparents, we had the pleasure of entering another beautiful garden. Grand Falls, Windsor, Grand Falls was referred to as the garden town wasn't it? It was something like that. They had a designation on it. Um, this was, this uh, garden surrounded the Lady Northcliffe Cottage Hospital. 
I remember a handyman who was always tending the flowers and shrubs. And I'd say, hi, Mr. Luscombe. And he would always reply, that a girl, don't pick the flowers. The little hospital fascinated, fascinated me. I knew my Aunt Jem was a nurse there, and I thought I could catch a glimpse of her. So I would always look towards the windows, which were really low to the ground. You could see a lot through those windows, believe me. Uh, I always scooted quickly past the garage, uh, because that's where the, uh, the ambulances were, and they really terrified me. And then next in line was Dr. Ball and Dr. Como, struggling, struggling to work with poor little children. Riverview Road, the most, one of the most historic uh, roads in town, was lined with poplar trees. Those poplar trees went straight up, and I would think they went up 40 feet, 50 feet. And the whole street was lined on both sides with lilac, with lilac trees and 40-foot-tall poplar trees. It was beautiful. And the smell, like this time of the year now with the fresh lilacs around town, every time I smell fresh lilacs, I remember walking down Riverview Road. Um, my grandmother would love for us to pick a bouquet for her, so she'd al we'd always pray, pick the uh, lilacs. Uh, there was the warmth of my grandmother's hugs. My sisters and I would walk from her back garden down through the path behind her house. Because behind that house on Riverview Road, there was a beautiful pathway that you could walk straight on down to the tracks. Because if we heard the train coming, we'd run down to the tracks and we'd wave to the train, whoever was driving that train, they'd be on their way to the mill. And then we'd walk all the way behind every house on Riverview Road to Sutton's house. Sutton's had a hen house. And there would be little eggs and all that stuff. It was really, really interesting for us. My sisters and I would, uh, we would also walk to the swimming pool along that track route because it ran all the way from there to the, to the swimming pool. We always walked the lunch basket to the mill on Riverview Road. We always had to hurry because inside there was a hot dinner. We'd hurry down the hill and past Carmelite Road trying to get to the mill before the whistle blew. You would have to be careful crossing the train tracks which ran in front of the mill. The funny little speeder came without warning. Then hundreds of men would stream out of the entrance of the mill, some going home to their families for dinner, and some, like Uncle Gord or Dad, waiting for their basket while they sat outside for a smoke. When I asked Uncle Gord why the mill smelled so terrible, he always reminded me that it was the sulfuric acid or the sweet smell of progress. It took me many years to understand that, but even today, I'm sure we all still remember that pungent odor. Um, I was just going to walk up, up co-op store past High Street, but I'll leave that. Can I talk about the uniforms if i got time to talk about Okay. September. September bought, brought parades of royal blue uniforms, white socks, blue and white Oxfords, and we walked along the streets with burgundy jackets, gray flannels, and uniforms, leather shoes, and book bags. We were all marching off to school. As we walked along the different routes to school, we wondered why some of the roads were paved in red or dusted with red clay. Does anybody remember that? The roads being done in red? All the time I would walk to school, I'd see red roads. Today, there's a small remnant of that, and it's on Junction Road, and it goes from Junction Road up between the trees. It used to be a lane with lots of pavement, but it's the only remnant that I've seen around, and it goes up between the trees up to the Pine Avenue uh, Hill above. So if you want to see a remnant of an old road in Grand Falls, Windsor, paved red, that's it. 
uh, we would also pass the, um, the lodge, Beaumont, Beaumont Lodge, and we would buy a little pack, tiny, tiny pack of Sen Sen. <laughs> Remember the Sen Sen? <laughs> it was a tiny back pa pack of black crystals, and it had a really strong flavor. We tried to see how many we had to suck before our tongues were turned black. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave it because there's just too much left there. <laughs> well, my story starts back in St. John's. My father was born in 85. And in his youth, uh, he learned the uh, movie trade very quickly uh, from the nickel, at the Nickel Theater. And, uh, and uh, yes, and he uh, moved, up, moved into Grand Falls with his family. Uh, with the family at that time, uh, around 1920, and uh, help uh, set up the uh, security. Uh, shortly after arriving, of course, uh, there was a theater in the old town hall that was run by Associates, which was some branch of the company, as far as I know. And in uh, 1936, Charlie, who was the eldest, I just got ahead of there, uh, Charlie was the eldest, and he and Dad had both ran the movies uh, first. And in 1936, after the new town hall was built, they were very uh, fortunate in, uh, in uh, winning the tender for the theater and uh, ran movies for four nights a week, uh, Monday, Friday, and Saturday. If the uh, hall wasn't booked on Wednesday or Thursday for some other organization, had the option of picking up then. Uh, moving into the 1950s, uh, things were advancing in the movie business at the time, uh, widescreen uh, cinemascope. It was then that uh, Dad and Charlie started talking about, well, in order to adapt the building they were using, there would have to be a large expense in remodeling the front part of it because it's designed. In 1954, my father passed away in June, and Charlie took over the total operation, quickly set about, make plans for the building, or not so much the building. First, they negotiated the town hall with the company, but the company kind of wanted to hang on to it and encouraged him toward a new building. Thus, uh, in 1955, he started, it was started over on this present site and opened February 12th, the official opening, uh, with White Christmas, started uh, being crowded to be Of course, uh, if one can remember back there, uniformed ushers, there were my two brothers, uh, Frank and Al, John Fever, and Bruce Woodman, Herman Eisner, Porter there on the door, and Mrs. Jessel, Bri Jessel, was the uh, I had broken into the uh, projection of movies, and, and the first night I remember with my cousin, Leo Edwards, running first. And I remained with it until 1975 when I sought greener pastures, and uh, although retaining. Charlie, of course, uh, who needs no introductions, I'm sure, uh, and I'm sure many in the audience will remember him very well here. In the, and, of course, not to overlook Jerry. Um, Jerry, I, told, I used to tell Charlie, you know, I said, Charlie, obviously you're mayor, you're fairly popular, the 
boys being great at sports. But you know, I said if there was a vote taken, we'd all lose. Jerry'd be the one. Sadly, in uh, 1990, <coughs> the early 90s, Charlie, uh, it was found that he would do uh, So we, uh, he decided on the... I remember he, uh, last night here, both of us sat in the office upstairs and reminisced back and forth, and it was, uh, well, with great pride, I was here. We've had very, very many enjoyable moments. A lot of our strategies were planned home at the kitchen table about two o'clock in the morning after late shows. There was never a limit on when you went to bed or when you got up, but it was, it was, a, great, it was a great journey. Thank you. Uh, John, I, got, I, I have a quick question for you. You know, growing up around, growing up around movies and, and the cinema, did, did you have a favorite movie star growing up? Well, I tell you what, in the rough times, what we call the rough times, certainly it was 1960, vented television, we're selling off back stocks and going rough. And lo and behold, in comes Mr. Elvis Presley. And shortly behind or around the same era was and in, in reality, these are, that was revitalization, or the start of it. No, it was a great period. I don't have any one, no. I think the one movie that stands out in my mind, in the perfect movie, both from a cast, production, was Sound of Music. <laughs> I, I ran that movie I don't, countless times. I can sit down now at Christmas time and, and see something I never saw before. So, yeah. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a co-production of CHMR Radio 93.5 and the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Andrea McGuire. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.